Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Sam Talks Telehealth. Super excited today. I've got Dr. Vic Bakru, Chief Medical Officer and Head of Mosaic for Circulo Health. Um, that is a digital-first technology venture focused on serving Medicaid members. And also, Dr. Vic has extensive experience before as the Chief Operating Officer and CFO at Consejo Sano. Um, again, another area focused on serving the underserved, digital, um, culturally diverse populations. And he's also done work internationally um, as the founder and chairman of board of directors for the Foundation of International Medical Relief for Children. So I'm super excited to have him on Sam Talks Telehealth. Let's get started. Okay, Vic, I'm so psyched to have you on with me today. We met on Clubhouse and I appreciate you coming and chatting here. So welcome. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. So as you know, on Sam Talks Telehealth, we keep it you know, short and conversational and whatnot. So I'm gonna kick off with my first question. And that really is, you know, we hear so much about the digital divide and digital literacy, and you have been working in the Medicaid space and low-income space with patients in all different kinds of areas of work. So can you tell us like, what are a few specific tactics that you've used and specifically around telehealth to get over this digital divide within the Medicaid population? Yeah, where to start? There's so much I feel like that, you know, we as a healthcare ecosystem do today that is very positive, and there's so much more that we need to do as we move forward. And when I think about, in particular, patients who are covered by Medicaid, um, I find that this digital, this notion of a digital divide in some ways we get in our own heads. When I think about, you know, sort of um, people who are covered by Medicaid, I like to ask the questions, have you ever been to Walmart? And, you know, most people in the room will raise their hand, yes. And, and then I ask, have you ever eaten ice cream? And most people in the audience will, you know, raise their hand, yes. And I'll ask a few other questions. And then I like to say, well, guess what? Your neighbors, your brothers, sisters, colleagues, people around you, we are, you know, essentially the same. We have certainly unique needs. And when we think about health equity, we have a lot of work to do on that front. But in terms of our daily lives, many of us, I go to Walmart, I eat ice cream, I do all of these activities. And I've certainly stood alongside in various travels, people who are covered by Medicaid. And so when we think about this, the digital divide, yes, it exists in many ways, but it also doesn't. In fact, there's many ways that we can still build technology that can be effective for people who already know how to use many of the native functions of a smartphone. So let's make sure we anchor on text messaging. Let's make sure that you know, we build the right types of tools that don't require multiple sign-ins. You know, at Circular, we think a lot about how do you create a seamless experience for members, for patients, for people? How do you create technology that doesn't require you to get frustrated just to use it? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to that frustration, let's say. So when I think about the digital divide and in particular the Medicaid population, you know, I tend to think about these seamless tools. Number one, you gotta make technology to meet people where they are. Number two, you gotta keep it simple and focused. Let's not use complex acronyms. Let's not use complex words. You know, these are functions of a healthcare system that doesn't relate sometimes to the people it's intended to serve. So we've really gotta make sure we're using plain language. Um, just as I wouldn't necessarily know the first thing about 
legalese and some of the complex legal language that's out there, you know, I, I need someone to boil it down for me. So let's make sure we're doing the same thing in healthcare, that we're not using overly complex terms. Why is it a nephrologist that you need to see instead of a kidney doctor? Right. Or, you know, so on and so forth. So the technology you're building, the tools you're building um, really, you know, need to relate to that patient. And third, you know, that relatability, right? The ability to humanize the experience. So don't make me feel like I'm talking to a company. Don't make me feel like I'm interacting with a bot. Help me feel like I have a human connection to the technology. And that's why I really love people who, you know, focus a lot on human computer interaction, human centered design. I mean, these are really important fields that when done right, lead to a much better, you know, sort of pathway toward technology utilization and effective technology utilization. So these are the thoughts that come to mind. I don't know if any of that resonates. Yeah, I mean, I think what I love is the conversation about, have you been into Walmart? Have you eaten ice cream? Because there's this perception that because you don't have money, you don't, or as much money as someone else, that you don't have all this stuff. But of course you do, right? And I'm someone who did grow up food stamps, trailer park, Medicaid, but we still had, okay. yeah, okay. we might've had a black and white TV as a kid, but we sure. still had a phone. We were, we yeah. still had, you know, different kinds of things. And the reality is everybody is attached to this thing. So this concept yeah. that they don't have the right tools is also off because yeah. I think, especially if we look at some of our different Im um, immigrant populations, if you have connections with family in any other country, you yes. use WhatsApp nonstop. Now in the States, yes. we don't use it that much, but yeah. everywhere else in the world, it's normal. And here they yeah. look at us and think, why don't you use that? So sometimes I think our own uh, maybe blindness or naivety about what's going on in the rest of the world can sort of shade that of like, oh, well, people don't know how to do it. Having been in the telehealth space for 12 years, I've helped plenty of Medicaid patients who, as long as you give some good instructions and you're, you know, helpful, just like you would be if someone's older or just like you would be if someone, it doesn't, it's not about the money you have. It's about how do I help you use the tools? Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, I mean, let's not be, um, you know, overlooking perhaps the fact that, yes, we have some challenges in the Wi-Fi access in the home that we need to solve. But we do have access to data in a variety of public places. Um, and and, and there, it is, people do find a way to, to connect, right? And they connect with what's important to them and what's meaningful to their families. And so we just have to be observant, you know, and really build around the needs of the people we're trying to serve. Yeah, I think that's super important. And I and I always appreciate the conversation around real specific around the Medicaid population, because I think there's, you know, as much stigma around Medicaid as there are with mental health, right? There are these two outside strange things. And it's like, we're still humans. It doesn't yeah. matter what it looks like. We're all humans trying to do something. And let's just like you mentioned, not only in our technology, have the human connection. And I think what's super important for clinicians is I think oftentimes as the technology comes in, the, the clinicians may love the robotics, right? I'm going to cut you open with this cool robotic thing. But then when you say, hey, can you treat someone at a distance? It's like, well, I'm losing the human touch. You and I have never met in person. We originally talked on Clubhouse. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever seen your face. And I still feel like I know you. I don't feel like, you know, yeah. if I sat down and had dinner with you, we'd pick up where we came across on the technology. So I think there still can be that human connection. 100% agree. Absolutely.
Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of goes segueing to Circulo, who has a lot of different, you're doing different tech things. And you have a statement there that says the battle between payer and provider ends now. Tell me, what does that mean for you at Circulo? Well, we're trying to keep this short, but you know, if I, if I could go on for days on this topic, because I can tell you both as a provider and now, you know, someone who's fortunate to work alongside an incredibly talented team that is rethinking how to administer um, insurance in the Medicaid space. Um, you know, I can tell you that, like, we have a mantra internally that says, battle's over, we'll do the dishes. You know, this is really about signaling to the market that the, you know, the way that insurance and the friction that it causes, the abrasion that it can lead to between a provider and a plan in terms of the relationship, in many ways is rooted in how we transact business together. It's two people on either side of a fax machine fighting over money that probably should have been paid for the work that was completed. And so if a clinician feels that something is right for their patient, for our member, for people that we're trying to serve together, then it ought to be in the hands of the person delivering the care, right? And so as we think about how to build a better plan, build a better benefit package and so on, um, and we don't use those words internally, I'm trying to relate to the external world, right? We, 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 we you know, uh, you know, yeah, we think about things very differently here, which I'm, I'm so excited about. Demystifying is a core value, right? How do we really just, again, go back to that, let's, let's use plain language, let's not make it complicated. But, you know, for us, that, that battle's over, we'll do the dishes, you know, sentiment or mantra um, is really rooted in, we don't need to do prior authorizations. Why are we putting 99.9% .9 of do-gooders through a process and a funnel that doesn't make sense? If we're trying to catch those who are Overutilizing, you know, or who are billing fraudulently or what have you, fraud, waste, and abuse, which is an important thing to look out, look out for and, and be aware of and, and, and catch, I guess, if you want to use that word. Um, yeah, we can do that with, with great data analytics. We don't need to put everyone through a manual process in order to achieve it, right? It's just a commitment to build the right technology. And we've made that commitment. Um, thanks to Sean Lane, our founder, we've come to market with a grand vision around how insurance doesn't need to be the way it is. And in fact, our investors, you know, have come, you know, with a whole thesis around how it really should be health assurance, not health insurance, right? And so anyway, you know, one of the things we've come to market with is no prior authorizations. The second is, I don't know that we need to have someone go do all this heavy lifting and clinical work, write the clinical documentation in a chart, and then go do go fill out a claims form to get paid for the work that you already did. It feels silly. It should be an automated process. And then we're going to fight over that claim? No. So again, this is what this sentiment is all about is we'll build technology that helps recover that information from the clinical note and puts it in the right spot on the form, right? And then give you a chance to review it. Um, but ultimately we'll do the heavy lifting, right? Battle's over, we'll do the dishes. We'll do the heavy lifting. We'll support you in your practice and ultimately our members because we want them to have a better experience. And it starts with making sure that our providers have a better experience with you know how they interact with the insurance company. Yeah, and I think what you said about like, no prior authorizations. Obviously, you and I probably both follow a lot of doctors on Twitter and LinkedIn and whatnot. And, you know, let's the truth of it is physicians spend time on the phone doing prior auth, which is like, and in speak that we would have in healthcare, we would say top of your license, right? Work yeah. at the top of your license. The worst thing we could do in a 
provider shortage time, or even in the time when we have printed providers is making them talk to someone on the phone who often has no clinical experience, no clinical knowledge, and having to argue about, no, I really actually need this for my patient. So that alone, because what that does is it puts one, clinical care back in the hands of the clinician, which yes. as you know, being a doctor is where it would belong. And number two, it takes the time they would spend in prior OS back to patient care, which is where you want it for your members, right? You don't want them on the phone trying to talk to you. So that alone is like, you yeah. know, it's revolutionary. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that the other thing that's so important to me in the work I do is that all caregivers go into healthcare because of the heart-centered work they want to do. Yeah. And if we keep taking them farther and farther away from the heart-centered work, that's the burnout stuff, right? Yeah. That's the, I'm leaving healthcare. I can't handle this anymore. I hate this. And if you can even just allow them the autonomy to do the patient care they want to do in the way they think is appropriate for their patients and use, as you said, data analytics to find, weed out the quote unquote, bad people, whatever that people are everywhere. That alone allows, again, the providers to have the human connection, which allows your members to be healthier. So yeah, well yeah. done. Yeah, we'll see. You know, there's a lot of heavy lifting to make this vision happen, you know, but it's an important thing to pursue. And when you, when you have a relationship and you don't start with trust, there's really very little that can come downstream from that, right? And, you know, again, I, I, I constantly gush about the circular team, but, you know, we have got, I think, some of the best minds working on these problems, and I'm confident we'll achieve some level of success, hopefully everything we've set out to do, but even some fraction of it will be a huge increment to what's, you know, what I see out there today. Um, but, you know, I think we've got a world-class design team, trust first, trust second, trust third. We've got, you know, just so many great areas of the company that are thinking in innovative ways to bring some of these, um, some of these ideas to, to, to fruition. So I couldn't be more excited about the future. I'm very optimistic about how we can, how we can reformat the relationship that providers and plants have. Yeah. And I think what you said is um, even if it's like you have the vision, even if there's incremental gains that matters. Every small gain matters. So that brings me to our last question, which is more sort of on the personal side of things, but complex question, love the simple answer. If you, Vic, could change one thing in, and I'll focus on American healthcare, because that is where we are. If you could change yeah. one thing in American healthcare, what would it be? Oh gosh, this is a loaded question. And it's, it's, it's a loaded question because there are so many things I wish we did better. And I, and I, I think we will do um, in the days ahead, in the weeks ahead, in the months ahead, in the years ahead. But if I had to just pick one thing, I think a lot of the challenges in healthcare stem from the way payments are constructed. I think when we you know, think about our political system and the need for campaign finance reform as the root cause of many of the reasons why we can't have certain changes that we all generally, if you survey the general population, we all generally agree certain things should be different, but because there are you know, these strong influences um, that, that are monetary in nature on the decisions of our lawmakers, we end up having a system that you know, needs campaign finance reform. Similarly in healthcare, I think we need payment reform in a big way. And I think you know, we need to revisit this notion that the patient is the consumer, is the person we should all be figuring out how to put at the center of the work that we do. And unfortunately, when I you know, see some of the payment structures, the incentives, the misaligned incentives in particular, you know, I, I feel that that's an important problem to solve because it leads to the health equity issues. 
or the lack of rather, it leads to some of the health inequities, let's say. It leads to some of these other challenges in our healthcare system that are so profound that are very hard to fix by just adding more. In fact, it's not necessarily that we need to add more, it's we need to do, you know, sort of things a little bit differently. Let's focus our dollars on preventative care more than we do on sick care. Let's build a health care system that, you know, actually provides, um, you know, the right combination of health and care. Um, and so, you know, so much more we could talk about here, but um, in the interest of time, I'll keep my answer short, but payment reform, I think, is, is you know, one thing that I, I think a lot about in terms of, you know, what we need to do. And I think it is happening. I think that the continued shift to value-based care will be most profound this decade. We needed some infrastructure, some foundational elements through the EMR and through, you know, other technologies um, that, yes, were built around, you know, the wrong incentives, billing, uh, and so forth. Um, but I think that, you know, I'm seeing a lot of energy and investment in particular um, into how value-based care arrangements are structured and how providers are supported to, you know, um, appropriately manage some of the risks that they're being asked to take. Love it. Yep. Payment reform. That'd be <laughs> certainly in our system, that would be a huge improvement. So I want to thank you so much for joining me today. You know, we do these kind of as lightning rounds on Sam Talks Telehealth, but I appreciate your time today. And I look forward to seeing you in the clubhouse rooms. Well, thank you so much. And uh, this has been a true delight. So I appreciate the invitation. All right. Thank you. Take care. Well, that was a super awesome interview. I love having a chance to talk with clinician innovators who are doing different things. And I think Vic brought a lot of different ideas to us. So thank you everyone for joining us today on Sam Talks Telehealth. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast so you get the latest updates of the next episodes. We'll see you back here next time.